everyone. Welcome to episode 150, Piggy Bank Parenting. Meet our mom, Kelly Hutchison. She is a life coach. She is a child counselor. She is a teacher. She's a parent coach. And she's a mom to us. She will teach you to stop yelling at your kids. She will teach you to get your kids to lesson. She will teach you how to never sleep with mommy guilt again. She will teach you how to be an imperfect mom. So you can help your kids be imperfect too. And have harmony in the home. I literally crack myself up when I come up with these titles and they come through me, not from me. So I can't really take responsibility for them or credit for them because I'm just the vessel in all of this. And this is something that came to me because when I was becoming a conscious parent, I didn't understand and it still baffles my mind how calm and cool and collected I was at school for so many years with hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of students with all different ages, all different stages, all different strengths, all different challenges. And I was calm as a cucumber. And then at home with my own two, I was cray cray. I was cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. I was very stern. Do you guys play Wordle? Oh my gosh, I'm literally addicted. Stern is always my second word that I use. I use audio and then I find out what vowels are and then I use stern as my second. And I'm telling you, I am on a Wordle streak right now because of that word stern. It's helped me so much. So I was such a stern, snappy turtle, pretty aggressive as far as with my energy. My tone was very condescending. My body language was a lot of ugh and a lot of frustration, irritation all the time. I was so irritated all the time and I didn't understand why I was so irritated all the time when we waited and prayed and this is the dream. This is this is the this is the white picket fence dream that David and I had waited and prayed for and wished for and had prayer chains and I started a blog about life through IVF like we couldn't have been more prepared or more ready. The amount of waiting and trying and effort that went into getting pregnant took us 6 years of just Try this, that didn't work. Try this, that didn't work. Try this, that didn't work. Have this surgery, that didn't work. Take this test, that didn't work. Oh, take this. And it was over and over. The amount of pregnancy tests that we took that were negative is depressing to even think about it. So it's not like this was a surprise baby or surprise babies. I mean, they were very well thought out and planned for. And ironically, all of that planning and preparing is what kind of jammed me up a little bit. It was the Cinderella story that you're taught when you're younger. It's like you're going to marry the prince and live happily ever after or marry the princess and live happily ever after. You're going to have the white picket fence. You see it on The Bachelor when they're just like, oh, I just want to, I just want to grow up, get married and have kids. And then you're living that grown up, married with kids. You're like, uh, don't really know if you think that it's going to be as shiny and rosy and beautiful as you think, but you think about it for so long that once it's finally there, you're like, oh, this is really hard. Not like, is this it? But like, is this it? It's romanticized so much as you're growing up. And you can see it romanticized now on TV and all these dating shows and ultimatum shows and then the speed dating. And it's always that they're searching for something outside of them and they think that there's going to be better there. And there being another location, another time, another person, another marriage, another child, 
another house, another job. It's always in the future. So there's that destination addiction that it's somewhere in the future in the horizon. And wherever you go, there's a famous country song, wherever you go, there you are. Because wherever you go, there you are. And there's always 50-50. Because I'll work with moms and dads who have four kids and they they say, I think we should have had two kids or I think we should have one more. Or parents of singletons. They think that a second child or another location or another job or something outside of them is going to fix for the 50-50. I remember when we had Lily, I was like, well, obviously she needs a sibling. That's going to fix all this, right? And so we always have, our brains tries to tell us that there's going to be better there. And then when we get to that there, it's kind of anticlimactic. It's kind of like, wah, wah, wah. Is this, is this what we've been talking about for 25, 30 years? Is this, is this really it? Because this is hard. This is really hard and I want to whine. I want to complain. And so a lot of times when we have our kids finally, if that's the goal of yours, because I have a lot of college students that listen that don't want to have kids or their destination addiction is on graduation day or when they get that degree or when they get that XYZ certification or they find that future partner, or they find that house, or they get that job. And I just want to reassure you that no matter where you go, there you are, and it's always going to be 50-50, no matter what. And you're always going to think that someone else has it better, easier, lighter, fluffier. And that's just the brain's way of doing the brain's job. So when you know that, you're like, oh, brain, I see what you're doing. You're doing exactly what Kelly said that you would do. You're so predictable. And then you're not mad about it. And so I called this piggy bank parenting because I felt so unworthy going into parenting. All my worthiness came from teaching and counseling and being a good daughter and being a good sister and just being the good girl. So I really needed myself to be a good mom. So because I went into parenting with so much unworthiness, because of all the infertility issues that we had, and every doctor said, oh, David's fine. It's all Kelly. Once we get her squared away, you guys should be in good shape in no time. Now, every doctor was amazing. This isn't a knock on the doctors. It was literally tests coming back saying abnormal, abnormal, abnormal. And so I internalized that for six years of you're not worthy, you're not good enough, you're not meant to be a mom, you're meant to be a teacher, you're meant to be a counselor, maybe you're not cut out for this, maybe this isn't your journey, maybe David should have married someone else who could have kids. No one's saying this to me. No one's hinting at it. No one's insinuating it. No one's giving me the look of that. It's all internally what I was doing to myself for those six years because I felt so much responsibility of why we weren't having kids was because we weren't having kids because of Kelly's problems. So then once Lily came along, the poor thing didn't have a fighting chance because I felt all this unworthiness wrapped up for so many years. And it could have come from your parents. It could have come from your teachers. It could have come from your coaches. It could have come from your grades. It could have been from you're addicted to drugs for five years. And then you're straightening out trying to have kids. It could have come from so many different places. I'm just sharing my story, but you can plug and play infertility with an aggressive father, with an alcoholic mother, with a distant or absent caregiver. You plug and play whatever that thing was. And when you do that, you realize that so much of your reaction is coming from that place of unworthiness. So I called it piggy bank parenting because I felt so unworthy going into this parenting gig. And I was using the kids especially to make me feel worthy, to make me feel like I belonged in this mom club. So I was essentially shaking the kids. Picture the piggy bank filled with my worthiness. And there were little coins. And sometimes the coins would come out as $5 coins. Sometimes they come out as $10 coins. Sometimes they come out as one cent coins. And so whenever the kids did something according to what I thought it would be, 
They followed the rules. They used their manners. They didn't cry at Chuck E. Cheese. Whatever my agenda or blueprint was for my worthiness, meaning it was something about me being good inherently, when my kids did X, Y, Z, then it was like they were holding the piggy bank of my worthiness. So when they would do a quote unquote good thing, that must mean that I was a good mom. And then it was like I was shaking them to get a token to fall out, like plop, you're worthy. And I would get little hits like dopamine and I would get little hits of worthiness. Like, yep, yep, yep. And then conversely, when they didn't follow the rules, when they didn't share, when they cried when I didn't think they should, when they embarrassed me at Chuck E. Cheese, that's where my reaction came from because it was like I was shaking the child symbolically for my worthiness and they weren't doing what I thought they should do. And because they weren't doing what I thought they should do, then it was like they were knocking on the door of my unworthiness and be like, nope, no tokens for you. And so then my aggression and my sternness and my strict pointy lip mom energy My aggression came from that place trying to get more worthiness coins out of the piggy bank that I handed over to a one and three-year-old. So I had the thought that kids should be happy all the time. And when they were happy, that meant I was doing a good job as a mom. You can only imagine what was happening to my piggy bank. When they weren't happy, which was a lot of the time, I would freak the flip out. And I would get reactive and I would be stern and I'd be pointy lip mom and I'd be snappy and I would yell and I would slam doors and I would almost shake them by the shoulders symbolically. And I was almost shaking them to try to get some worthiness coins out of them. And the more that I shook and the harder I shook, the less that would come out. Because number one, how can I expect a three-year-old and a one-year-old to be in charge of my worthiness? Like if a child sleeps through the night, then that somehow means I'm a good mom because I read the book about sleep training or I do baby-wise and they're on a schedule. A child's sleeping schedule or sleeping skills has nothing to do with me as a mom. But when we are a parent, we're so afraid of messing up. So we parent from that fear-based place and that's essentially where we mess it up. And our high reaction... When the reaction doesn't fit the crime, so to speak, we know that there's something underneath there, that that unworthiness comes from another place separate from our child and not from our child. Because what they're doing, they're just being a kid. They're just being completely neutral. It's the meaning and story that we have behind it and underneath it that causes our reaction. But it has nothing to do with the child. That's the greatest news ever. How do I know? Is because I could have 40 kids acting out and I would be calm as a cucumber. I have two kids interrupting me while I'm on the phone and I turned into a cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs lady because I was making their behavior mean something about me. But at school, their behavior meant nothing about me. So it's like that country song, I was looking for love in all the wrong places. I was looking for worthiness in all the wrong places. I was handing it over to a child. It's not their responsibility. It's like another country song, Can I Trust You With My Heart? Because we have that blueprint for love that we think we should be able to hand out like little manuals and little blueprints that we pass out to all the people. Like we're the architect and then they're the general contractor and they should execute all of our plans because we said so. It was my way or the highway. And my highway was filled with anger and aggression and frustration and disappointment and lots of huffing and puffing and blowing my house down, my own house I was blowing down because I was so frustrated all the time because I needed them to be happy all the time. And the more I wanted them to be happy, guess what? The less happy they were. 
I know, it's crazy. Imagine me trying to force you to be happy. We go out to lunch and you're having a bad day or you're not feeling it. And I'm like, be happy, be happy, be happy, be happy. Come on, Susie Q, be happy. Fill me up, make me feel like a good friend. You'd be like, what? What is wrong with you, chick? That's essentially what I was doing. And so many parents do that because it all comes from a good place. This doesn't mean we're bad people. It just means that we're stuck in emotional childhood. We're stuck in our little girl and our little boy that lives inside of us. And we're so afraid of not being worthy. So then we use our kids and our spouse or the people that are closest to us to fulfill all of our blueprint needs. And it's like we're handing off the baton and then they're handing it back to us going, wait a minute, you're supposed to let me know that I'm worthy. Wait a minute. I think the kiss of death was from that movie, Jerry Maguire, You Complete Me, because no one can complete you. It's not the other half. It's two holes. And I think we get sold a bag of goods in all the movies and all the fairy tales that we watch that happily ever after. And the Jerry Maguire line, You Complete Me, I mean, it's good for movies, but that is not real life. And like when people say, that's my other half, talking about their spouse, no, that means that you're half a person. So it goes back to that feeling half of someone and then someone else is going to complete you or that your children will complete you and make you feel like a good human or a good parent. And we give them all the worthiness coins and we're like, all right, dole them out, dole them out. But that's not their job. They can't dole them out even if they wanted to. They're not emotionally mature enough. It's not their responsibility and they just need to be kids. And so we control our side of the street and we hold the piggy bank. And our worthiness comes from treating people kindly, our faith, our love of other people. And in that loving of other people, it's like a fire hose of love because it feels good to love other people versus looking to other people and handing them our blueprint and saying, here, fill up my piggy bank. And when you go into relationships, not looking and not seeking and just doing the act of love, then you don't need other people to complete you. You don't feel like the other half is somewhere outside of you. You're not having that destination addiction that happiness is outside of you or another location, another child, another partner. And you're not looking for love in all the wrong places because it already lives inside your own piggy bank. And that piggy bank is filled with love and God and kindness and all the things that you put in there. The things I put in my piggy bank are much different than the things you're gonna put in your piggy bank. And that's okay but we don't give the piggy bank to someone else and then expect them to dole it out to us based on their behavior because that's very conditional and that's a lot of pressure for kids and they falter under pressure. How do I know? Because I did it for five years and it was not a fun experience at all. I wasn't enjoying them to be in joy with them because I was so seeking something from them and I was like trying to get orange juice out of an orange that had no pulp in it because I was just using and using and using versus giving and giving and giving and I was expecting them to dole out my worthiness versus knowing that it comes from me already. It's given to me the day I was born. It's given to you the day you were born. And it's nothing your spouse or kids or coworkers or loved ones or sisters or brothers or parents can give to you because it already lives inside of you. So when you're not seeking for that, then you can just be that fire hose of love and that bright light and love abundantly because it feels good to love. Then there's this natural reciprocal effect that happens because they feel like the walls are down. There's no agenda. There's no blueprint. There's no manual there's no playbook. They just get to show up and be themselves. And then you get to show up and be yourself. And in that, you enjoy the flaws and you enjoy the awesomeness of both of you. And then you're both blossom together. I love you guys and I'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye. Hey, mamas, thanks for listening. If you had any ahas, clicks, or those lightning bolt moments while listening, you have to check out my free parenting bootcamp where we take all of this to the next level and we try to create even more awakenings for ourselves so that we can connect more with our kids and never yell at them again. You can sign up at www.coachingkelly.com 
And if you really want to fill up my love cup, send me an email of what your aha was, what your click was, what was that lightning bolt moment while you were listening. I want nothing more in life than for you to have harmony in your home and to learn how to be an imperfect mom like me, which allows your kids to be imperfect too, each and every day. Thanks for listening.